You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 14. We're discovering the power of prayer as a church. A few months ago, I wrote a book called Discovering the Power of Prayer. If you haven't gotten a copy of the book, you can pick it up at the Welcome Center free of charge for you because I love you and I want you to grow in your love for Jesus and your prayer life. This morning, I want to share a message entitled your, your Authority in Christ. Your Authority in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne room of grace so that you may receive mercy and grace in time of need. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we can, we can come into the throne room of Christ before King Jesus, before the King of the universe with a confidence. And I would propose that many times in our prayer lives, we come more with kind of a, a wishful um, prayer flinging. We just kind of throw some prayers up kind of wishfully, hoping kind of crossing our fingers, hoping that something sticks. But the picture that we get here in the, in the book of Hebrews is completely different. It's this picture of you or I coming before the throne room of grace with a confidence, knowing it's in that place we have authority in Jesus Christ to receive exactly what we need in time of need. And I want this morning to equip you with that very thing, with a confidence in your prayer life. My, my aim is very simple is that you'd leave this place more confident to pray with fervor and urgency in your hearts. I feel like this is an equipping message. Over the last several weeks, you can listen to any of the messages on our, on our website, on our podcast, and kind of get caught up. But uh, we've been really laying the foundation of the, the truths that really ground us for a healthy perspective in, in prayer. The essential truth that you were created for relationship with God. But to, this morning, we really come to now equipping you to step into a season of confidence in your prayer life in Jesus. I see it as my role to be an equipper. As pastor of this church, I, I see my role to be an equipper. A pastor's role is not to be some um, superstar minister that does all the work for the church. Instead, the, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that God gave us apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers to do what? to equip the saints, and that's you all. That's us together. And one of the heartbeats of this church, I would say the heartbeat of this church, is that we would be a people that live the message of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I see, see as my role to equip you, to equip us to go out and to live the message of Jesus with an identity and a security in him, to live out the call of God on our lives, not to sit passively by. So, the, the, the main truth for this morning is, is this, that prayer is our place of authority as believers. Prayer is our place of authority as believers. I want to I set this up with this very simple analogy. I want you to picture a great, great kingdom. It's, a, it's an absolute monarchy. This, this, this kingdom is ruled by a very, very good king, a kind king. And a very, this kingdom is very successful. But you, you're an orphan, you're a nobody. You live outside the walls of this kingdom. But one day, one of the assistants of the king, he comes to you. He finds you. 
He says, hey, the king wants to meet with you. The king wants you. He's chosen you. So the next morning you wake up. At the, at the time, you're supposed to meet them at the, the gates of this kingdom. And he, the, the, the assistants of the king, they, they lead you into the, into the castle and then to the, the doors of the throne room. And you wait patiently and nervously to see the king. Finally, the king, uh, the assistants of the king, they lead you into the throne room of the king. And it's there you stand before this majestic, great king that you, you would only have wished that you'd be actually be able to see with your very own eyes. And it's in that place he looks at you. He says, I've chosen you to be in the kingdom. I hear you live outside the walls. Now, you're, now you can come and live inside the walls. Now you belong. And you go on your merry way, your life forever changed. I actually believe that many times in prayer, we, we stop with that idea of the good news of Jesus. That simply, he's purchased you right standing with the king. That's it. You're in the kingdom. But I want to take this way beyond. Because the good news of Jesus is, is not just about punching your ticket for heaven. It's not just about you being in the kingdom. This is actually what happens in the kingdom of Jesus. King Jesus calls you as an orphan, as an outsider, as a reject that lives outside the walls of the kingdom. And he calls you and he says, I want to meet with you. I want you. I've chosen you. The assistants, they come and get you. They, they, on the, the morning of, they, they draw you into the throne room. You wait outside nervously, but patiently, anticipating this day. The doors open up. You come into the throne room of the king. The throne steps off. I mean, the king th- steps off of his throne and he approaches you. And it's in that place. He embraces you. He gives you a hug. And he says, this, this morning, I'm adopting you into my family. You're a son. You are a daughter. I'm adopting you into my family. I've heard you're, re- you're a reject. You're an orphan. You have nowhere that you belong. Well, I'm, I'm calling you part of the family now. Not only am I adopting you, but I'm giving you an inheritance. I'm giving you part of, of who I am, part of my kingdom, for you to rule and to reign with me, to be a co-heir with my son. That is the radical good news of Jesus, and our hearts resist it on a daily basis. But I challenge you to jump into the radical good news of Jesus that he brought to the earth 2,000 years ago. This is what Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is that, that paradigm that frames our confidence in prayer. That you do not have that spirit of an orphan, of a reject, of a nobody, but instead the the king of the universe, King Jesus, he, he summoned you into his throne room. He said, I've chosen you, and I've adopted you. And it's that Holy Spirit inside of you that cries out, even as I proclaim that. It cries, there's something that wells up in you, and you're like, yes, I know. I knew I was created for something more. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a son of the king that rises up in us. And it's from that spirit of sonship, that spirit of adoption, that we can cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's, those are the very words that Jesus said. That's why Paul emphasizes it twice here in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. That's what Jesus said. The Son of God. He cried out, Abba, Father. It's Aramaic and then Greek. And that Aramaic word, uh, Abba, it's just a more, a more informal, like relational emphasis type of title for, for, father, for God the Father. He's saying, Daddy, Father. That's how he cries out to his father and says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So you, you step into a battle because he trusts you. He trusts you to take up arms in this, this battle, this spiritual battle that he calls you an heir. He gives you an authority to step into it, not of timidity or fear or passivity, but with confidence. So I felt led to share from this story in Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of Peter stepping out of the boat because Jesus is walking to him on water. That would be a sight to see. When your teacher, your Messiah, your uh, rabbi comes walking to you on the water in the midst of a storm, but he calls him out of the boat. And I feel like that, that picture of Peter stepping out of the boat onto the water is a picture of what Jesus has been calling us into as a church over the last several weeks as he's been stirring up this urgency to pray. It's stepping out into the miraculous, stepping out into what is uncommon, which, which is not normal, defying logic. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do. We're not called to the status quo of mediocrity and just what people expect of us. The church is supposed to shake things up. That's what the church is supposed to do. So Jesus is calling us out of the boat. Each and every one of us is a follower of Jesus. He's calling you out of the boat to walk on water. Let's take a look at this, this story in verse 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the, to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So this was just following the, the miracle where he fed the 5,000 people. And after he had di- dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus, I believe, is our greatest model for prayer. You want to have a motivation and an urgency in your hearts to pray? Look to Jesus. If the Son of God had to devote himself to prayer, you cannot relegate prayer to simply being something you do in the coming and the going. I am a huge advocate of of intimacy with God where you pray in the comings and the goings, in the car and as you're walking to class, as you're walking to work. But Jesus himself, who lived in the intense scrutiny of of a... you know, an intense schedule all day long. He himself devoted himself to private prayer where he just got alone on a mountainside to cry out to his father because he so knew he needed it, that, that sort of fellowship or oneness with the father. So Jesus is our model and our motivation for prayer. But I want this picture of Jesus praying on the mountain to inspire you to the reality that Jesus prays for you. I believe Jesus, we have, we have a, f- a firm confidence that Jesus prayed for his disciples. John chapter 17, he took the time to pray for these ones that the Father had entrusted to him, that the Father had given to him. But he also goes on in John chapter 17 to pray for you. Do you know Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago? Read it, check it out in John chapter 17. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. He prayed for you, and he still prays for you today. So picture Jesus on the mountain praying, praying for his disciples. He knows he just sent them into a storm. Like he knew it. He knew they, they were, they were going to face death, what they thought would be the end of them. He was sending them into a battle, and so he took that place of intercession of prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 gives us this confidence that Jesus still to this day, in the year 2019, he's interceding for you which may sound like a mystery, being he's one with the Father. He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, three in one. And yet he so enjoys fellowship of the Father, fellowship with the Father, 
and this fellowship with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that we see this picture of Jesus interceding in this moment for you. Verse 34 of uh, Romans chapter 8 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, Jesus, he's interceding for you. That the Father, the Holy Spirit might come and equip you for the battle that he knows he just sent you into. Let's keep reading. It says, But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. This is a description of life. This is just real life. Here, a long way from land, a sense of any sort of security or stability. It says they're beaten by the waves. This is getting physical now. You're getting beat up. You're getting tossed to and fro. And the wind is against you. If that wasn't enough, if it wasn't just that you were out in the middle of nowhere, way you know, far away from the ability to anchor down anywhere, and then you're getting beat up, physically taking on injuries and pain, and oh, by the way, you are rowing against the wind. Is that not real life? I find myself there oftentimes saying, what is going on? Like, as soon as you think the odds are stacked up against you, something else comes. But Jesus was aware that that's what he was sending them into. He was sending them into this storm of a lifetime, kind of this picture of a perfect storm. So it says that in verse 25, then in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. It was the fourth watch of the night, so Roman custom of keeping time was to break the night into four watches. The first watch being from six to nine, second from nine to midnight, nine to three, and the fourth watch being from three to six. So at this point, we know they left, they had left shore right after dinner time, after Jesus fed them a feast of 5,000, this feast for 5,000 people. Then they're out rowing for hours upon hours upon hours in the midst of a storm, being beaten by the waves. And now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes waltzing in. All cool. like a, He's a cool cat. It's Jesus. Doesn't it seem a little late? Like, come on, Jesus. Why couldn't you come the first watch? The second watch? The third watch? Like, what's going on? Can I tell you, I'm going to confidently say this. That I, I do not understand the timing of God. And that's Okay. I don't understand it. I don't know why he didn't come the second watch or the third watch. He came the fourth watch, though. But I do know that he gives you the grace that you need to get there when he's going to get there, to make it. He gives you what you need. Just like we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he will give you the mercy and the grace to help in time of need. He will give you what you need. And he will only send you into what he knows you can sustain. Jesus seems late. I've been wrestling with this in my own life. You know, Tony and I, we've been, we've been here now for eight years in Ames. We moved here as 25-year-olds from Seattle, Washington, not knowing a soul in Iowa, with dreams in our hearts, visions of God moving, with thousands, you know, thousands of college students coming to know Jesus. And we had such a burning vision and passion for this church to be chock full every single weekend. Can I tell you, I felt like oftentimes, though, God sent me more into a storm because there's been difficult times as we've stepped out in this adventure of faith. 
Like, oh God, we're a long ways from land. Where's stability? Where's security? And then we start getting beat up by the waves. It starts getting physical. And then, oh yeah, by the way, we're rowing against the wind. This is getting over. And so I found myself oftentimes in prayer saying, God, I feel like everything is working against us. But even in this season of prayer that God has been stirring in our church, I feel like he's been feeding me with this type of grace. This, this type of uh, sustaining grace that says, Drew, I, I'll give you enough. I'll give you enough to sustain you. He's not going to be late. He's going to be right on time. I believe he's going to pour out his spirit in this church. There will be a day when thousands of college students through the ministry of this church will come to know Jesus. I thank God for every single college student that's come to know Christ through the ministry that's been started through this church. Every single individual, every single one, and even preparing this, many faces came to my mind of individuals that encountered Christ. there's There's a few numbers that bother me that don't allow me to be content with what we have. The right reality that 35,000 college students come to school here every single year, the fact that 99, all 99 counties of Iowa are represented here uh, at Iowa State University, the fact that 120 countries are represented on this campus. There's something in my heart that says the kingdom of God has to do something more the, through, the, through the church of Jesus Christ. We have to do something more. We cannot be content with empty seats. We can't. Our hearts have to burn for more, for one more. And so I dream of the day when this place is chock full with overflows and multiple services and our college ministry is bursting at the seams because there's this hunger in college students' hearts to encounter Jesus for themselves. Here's a number that should bother you as you walk out of this place even this morning. In Story County, the Census Bureau tells us that 50% of Story County still declares themselves as religiously unaffiliated. That should bother us. We can't continue to pat ourselves on the back and say everything is okay when in fact it's not. Half of our county says they've given up on religion altogether, so they will just be completely unaffiliated. And obviously we're not offering religion, we're offering offering something completely different. We're offering an actual relationship with a living God to the person of Jesus Christ. But I pray that that burns in your hearts to contend, to not give up in the second watch or the third watch. I'm eight years into my time here in Ames and, and I'm not giving up. I don't know what watch it is but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing in, keeping my eyes on the promises of God. So Jesus waltz in, verse 25, verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What a tragedy it would be is if we did not recognize the work of Jesus in our midst. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus at first glance. They thought he was an aberration, a ghost. They didn't know what was going on. And I just pray that we recognize Jesus. The Lord's been convicting me a lot of this recently. Some of the biggest prayers I have are for my kids, the things that go on in my own home. But oftentimes, the things that Jesus is doing in our midst, they don't come in the packages that we think they're going to come in. And so sometimes Jesus just lobs me a softball of a conversation with my kids, and I miss it. I pray that we recognize the work of Jesus in our midst. I've been praying that God would bring, bring the lost to our church. His heart is for the lost. A couple weeks ago, a couple weekends ago, I had to stop by here on, a, on an evening to sell some, some equipment that we were uh, selling away, you know, on Facebook Marketplace. 
uh, just old stuff that churches collect, you know. And, um, and here, I was sitting and having a conversation with somebody who's obviously very lost. That's not a judgmental comment. But, I mean, we, we talked about church and how they hadn't been to a church in decades. And so here was a person God was bringing, but I didn't realize it until afterwards that, well, I don't, I don't know that I really took, made the most of that opportunity. And that's the way it happens in life. Oftentimes we miss what Jesus is doing because we don't have those hearts, those, those eyes to see, those eyes of faith to recognize Jesus working in our midst, Jesus providing the miracle that we've been praying for. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So something right, 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 rose up in uh, Peter that was different than the other disciples. It's just a, a sliver of grace that chose to recognize Jesus. And I pray that would be us. I pray that would be you. Verse 29, this is the way of a believer. This is what Jesus is calling us into. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. This is the way of the believer. It's defying logic. It's defying what's normal. Jesus, this morning, he's calling you out of the boat. If you're not already out of the boat walking on the water, Jesus is calling you to that. This life that just defies odds, that defies what the world says is normal. There's a natural order of things that God set in motion. He is the lawmaker of the universe. He's the grand lawmaker. But when Jesus steps in in a moment, he can choose to defy those logics. And that's what he does over your life. He calls you to defy what is normal. And as I was, as I was thinking about that reality, my heart started to well up with faith. A number of faces in this church came into my mind of pictures of individuals that have defied the odds. Those that they're living a life that's not normal. They're walking on water. They've stepped out of the boat. And I praise God. I thought of JF and Kathy Krause. JF was a drug-slinging hippie. You know, vagabond, really. Until he encountered the goodness of Jesus. You know, every single Sunday, he preaches the gospel in a senior's home. If you rewind his story to 40 years ago, or however many years ago, maybe it was just a couple of years ago, you, know, you wouldn't have put him in that place proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those who are in their final years of life, but just humbly and patiently loving on them week after week. And he's married to a woman, Kathy, who grew up in this church, who's seen it all, who's been through good times and been through bad times. She's defying what's logical to stay faithful and stay true to Jesus, to keep her eyes on the promises of God, even when things are stacked up against her. That's stepping out of the boat. I thought of Guy Page overcoming drug addiction through Jesus. Now he's pursuing his graduate degree in nursing. That's defying logic. It's defying what's normal. You're all getting nervous now. I'm going to call you out, right? <laughs> I know. I know you are. Bring out all your all the skeletons from the closet. I won't do that. I thought of Ryan Vogler, though. I don't even see him right now, but oh, there you are, right there. Not having a family to belong to, being thrown around the foster care system, so many homes. I don't even remember how many homes you've been to. You encounter the love of Christ and to see you come alive in Christ. It defies what is normal statistically. 
logically, and I praise God for you. Each and every one of you, as you've responded to that, the voice of Jesus that's saying, come. He's walked to you on water. He's, he's doing the miraculous in your life. He's bridged the divide, and he's saying, come. And you step out of the boat, and you begin to walk on water. Defy logic. So verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I love that the Bible is so authentic to real life. Because faith is not, it's not a switch that's either on or off. It's like a, it's a spectrum. And sometimes we're really overflowing with faith, and other times our faith wanes. And in this moment, yeah, Peter had enough faith to step out of the boat, to keep his eyes on Jesus, to defy what's normal. But real life happens. I think what's so interesting about this story is that Jesus called Peter out of the boat still in the midst of the storm. Jesus didn't calm the storm and then say, yeah, Peter, come now. Now now the water's all perfectly peaceful and calm. Now you won't have anything working against you. No, Jesus had so much, Jesus has more faith for you than you have for yourself, more, more than you can imagine. And Jesus had so much faith in Peter that he called him out in the midst of the storm, the wind and the waves still blaring. And it's in that place that just for a moment his faith wanes and he begins to sink. But we see then in verse 31 that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. There was no hesitation in Jesus. It says he immediately, immediately, he reached down to grab Peter. God's not playing with your heart. You're not just a pawn in his game. With great compassion in his heart, he reached down to Peter. I don't know what's, what, what's all going on in the mind of God in terms of his sovereignty and, and our free will. It seems so genuine, though, that he believed more in Peter than even what was evident here. And when Peter began to sink, Jesus immediately re- reaches out his hand and he grabs Peter to pull him out of the water. And then they just have a moment to worship because once Jesus steps into the boat, the wind and the waves, they calm down. It's peaceful. And they know this son of God, he is like none else. He's like no one else. Truly, this is the son of God. And they have a worship moment in the midst midst of of a sea. I want us to respond to God this morning. I apologize that we went over this morning. We just had a lot going on. But I do want us to respond to God in a number of different ways. I believe there are some in this place that need to get right with God. You just need to start a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. But there are others in this place who you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you know he's calling you out of the boat. He's calling you to, you've been playing it safe, you've been playing it mediocrity, you've been just trying to float by with what's normal. And Jesus is calling you out of the boat. There are others in this place that, when I talk about authority in the place of prayer, something wells up in your heart that maybe you've, you've been missing that aspect of your prayer life. That you haven't often come to, to that place of prayer with any sort of confidence 
that the grace of God is sufficient for you to be called a son or a daughter, that you can come into the throne room with confidence and with authority. Because I was challenged this week as I was writing this message that oftentimes I tame down my prayers, even my prayers for my own family or, my, or this church, and I try to play it safe. I think I often pray, oh God, just for one more, because I, I sometimes doubt whether, God, whether or not God can fill this place to overflowing. We need to begin to pray, pray in a, in a, in a way that, that honors what God purchased for us in alignment with the authority that he's purchased for you. I think it's almost an affront to God. It's an insult to him when we tame down our prayers. That's not authority. That's not confidence that he's given us. We step into, and there's some in this place that you just need to step into the authority that, that God has given you in the place of prayer. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I want us to respond to Jesus. If that's you this morning, you'd say, Drew, I, I want to step into a season of more authority in my time of prayer. If you'd raise your hand and respond to God, awesome, yeah. Many are joining me this morning that response. And Lord, I pray that over every individual, that in faith they raise their hand. They're mustering up the little amount of faith that they have. And they're placing their faith in your grace and your sufficiency, your radical love that purchased them and called them a son or a daughter that says they have an inheritance. That means they're not supposed to play, uh, just sit on the sidelines. But you have an inheritance for them. They're co-heirs of Christ. I pray that each and every one of us would step into a season of authority, with confidence. Yes, we come with reverence and awe of your holiness and majesty, but we also see you as our Father that adopted us as sons. And secondly, if you're in this place and you'd say, yeah, Drew, this morning, I, I feel like for a while God's been calling me to step out of the boat, but I've been playing it safe. I just want to forego mediocrity and what everyone would categorize as normal. I want to begin to step out of the boat. If that's you, if you'd raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. That excites me so much. That's what I know over this church, that God has called us to be a people that step out of the boat. So God, we respond this morning in faith. We say we are getting out of the boat. We choose to recognize what you're doing, to have those, those eyes of faith that recognize Jesus coming to us and he's summoning us to something different, to this, this life of the supernatural. We respond this morning, Jesus, in your mighty name. And third, if you're in this place and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm not right with God, but this morning I want to make things right. If that's you, if you'd raise your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just want to know who I'm praying for. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome. Anybody else? So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, you can pray this prayer. This is a, a prayer from your heart. You're committing your life to Jesus as your Savior, as your, as your sufficiency. Pray like this. Lord Jesus, this morning, I choose to stop running choose to surrender, choose to place my faith, my confidence in you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my Messiah. You are my everything, no turning back. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.